This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning, and welcome to Inside School Food, and welcome back. I'm your host, Laura Stanley. We've been pretty quiet all winter, but today marks the start of a much busier spring season, and I am really excited about today's guest. Uh, we are honored to have with us today Helena Bottomiller-Evich, who is a senior food and agriculture policy reporter at Politico. Um, Helena is the journalist behind some of the most thorough and important reporting we've seen on the current child nutrition reauthorization. Um, As for today's topic, I'm not so excited. Uh, The latest CNR news is disheartening, um, and that's to put it mildly. Um, On April 7th, so that's 10 days ago, Helena broke this story to the subscribers of Politico Pro. She wrote, and I quote, "Um, the House Education and the Workforce Committee has finally come up with a child nutrition reauthorization bill, and it looks like it could be everything health advocates feared. Um, She went on to describe a number of critical, troubling differences between this bill and the Senate's CNR bill. So today, with Helena's help, we're going to unpack the contents of the House bill and look how, at how it might impact people working inside school food. So Helena, welcome to the show, and uh, thank you for joining us under this cloud. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, before we dig into the contents of the House committee's bill, I just want to quickly remind listeners Um, how reauthorization works. Um, Both the Senate and the House have committees assigned to separately drafting their own child nutrition bills. And these bills deal not only with school meal programs, which we're going to mostly talk about today, but but a host of other child and family nutrition programs, such as WIC and SNAP and CACFP and the Summer Food Service Program. Um, The committees conduct their own research and their own meetings with constituents, and they hold their own hearings. So it's an intensive process on both sides involving over a year of hard work on a, on an array of bills that get folded into this big package comprised of many moving parts. And then eventually both committees' bills are merged and sent on to the House for passage. And I do want to remind listeners that we did a pretty um, detailed explanation of the whole process um, in an episode called CNR 2015 Walkthrough, and you can find that um, it was June 22nd. You can find that in InsideSchoolFood.com if you want a refresher. Um, the Senate CNR bill was released in early January of this year, um, and at that point, reauthorization was already three months behind schedule. Um, the Senate bill was hailed as a bipartisan victory. Um, no, nobody got everything they wanted, of course, but it was protective of new policies that have expanded free meal service to high-needs communities and... Um, it's largely protective of rules that have dramatically improved the nutritional quality of meals, competitive foods, snacks, um, and so forth offered at school. Um, most listeners are likely very familiar with the contents of that bill by now, but if you need a refresher, there's a link to a summary from um, the Food Research and Action Center on today's show page. So, um, But Helena, before I ask you about the new House bill, is there anything more you think we should say at this point 
about that Senate bill? Uh, I think it's important to remember, I mean, you you touched on how much work has gone into this. Uh, This has been months and months of work and waiting, uh, and advocates, I think, on both sides uh, of the issue, on all sides of the issue, are really anxious to actually see something move forward. It's Mm -hmm. just, we're, it's such a, it's, there's been this long, drawn-out process. So, um, you know, both committees are making uh, some progress, but I think... Uh, everyone feels, you know, like, let's get the show on the road. So that's sort of the point that we're at. It's a little bit torturous at this point. <laughs> that's a good word, yeah. yes. Okay, so on to the House bill. You, you told me that um, it, it actually was leaked to Politico. Uh, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that it's not really ready for prime time? You know, what's, what's the document that you wrote about and that is now online? Yeah, so we obtained what's called a discussion draft, and it was 170 pages. Uh, It's basically a draft bill, so it's not necessarily the the exact bill that the committee would uh, unveil for markup. They Mm -hmm. might still be making changes. The point of having a discussion draft is to be able to circulate it to your stakeholders and get feedback from them, run things by them, uh, and, you know, make changes if you want based on that feedback. So it's pretty early in the process. Uh, I think one of the um, reasons we felt it was so important to get our hands on this bill and post it was because this has been such a long process and people are very were very anxious to see what was going to be in the House bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not. It's important to remember that it definitely could change uh, before the, the House moves forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see what the committee is thinking on various issues uh, certainly sheds light on where this process is headed. And as you mentioned, um, health advocates uh, have been somewhat dismayed uh, about the the direction that they see the house going. Okay, that's helpful. Let, let's talk about what has them worried. Um, do you want to start with, I don't know, start wherever you want to start. What has them worried? <laughs> so I, I think the, the number one uh, kind of heartbreaker for health advocates is uh, the changes to the community eligibility provision. Mm-hmm. So and it's it's not just uh, health groups that are that are not a fan of what the house wants to do. It's also the school nutrition association. So so basically, what the house uh, draft bill looks to do is make it harder for schools to qualify for CEP. So it would make this wonky change to how uh, you know what threshold of schools would qualify. So instead of it being forty percent of your students directly certified through SNAP or other government programs, it would Mm -hmm. bump up to 60%. And so in real terms, uh, if you look at multipliers uh, from hunger groups and USDA, you're probably looking at actually schools with between 65 and 95 or so percent uh, eligibility for free and reduced Meal, so you would be bumped. A school that maybe is 65% right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. qualifies under this bill. Uh, it would only be schools that are, you know, 95 or so plus uh, eligible that would be enrolled in CEP. So the real impact of that would be there would be many, many schools that are now doing universal free meals uh, that would no longer be able to uh, under the House provision. So both SNA and a broad coalition of health groups are mm-hmm. pretty upset by that. They're not um, really being very vocal about it, mm-hmm. uh, but 
certainly that was the, the part of the bill that's been the most talked about. So if you look at the comments that Agriculture Secretary uh, Tom Vilsack or Kevin Concannon, the head of FNS, are making, uh, they're very focused on CEP and that being, uh, for them, the most troubling part of the House bill. Right. Uh, but there are, many, yeah, there are many other changes we can go into, too, but I think mm-hmm. the CEP... Um, uh, you know, to change to basically raise the threshold of CEP uh, has, uh, I think, frustrated um, health advocates and definitely school nutrition leaders who have really viewed that program as successful, uh, not only to reduce the stigma uh, sometimes attached to school meals, mm-hmm. but also to reduce paperwork and to. Um, increase access. Yeah, it's it's been regarded as a tremendous success, and as as it happens, um, you um, your report on this discussion draft was released the same day that uh, FRAC re- re- released its um, progress report for CEP, and it's it's just you know working fantastically well. I actually spoke with Jean Ronnie, president of um, the School Nutrition Association, this morning, um, and she reiterated the SNA position that they are are really committed to CEP. Um, she talked about just, you know, in her own district of St. Paul's Public Schools, the, the importance it, it, you know, it has had in um, reaching more kids and helping them make ends meet. So there, I, I have put the SNA response um, about CEP um, as well as the, um, the FRAC report um, on today's show page. You can find links. Um, so yeah, both, both FRAC uh, and the Center for um uh, budget and policy priorities, ha- they have uh, posted basically spreadsheets where you can go in and you can actually see which schools are currently um, using CEP mm-hmm. but would would get bumped under the House bill. Uh, so it's pretty, act- it's pretty easy to see which schools would be impacted. Uh, please send that to me and I'll share that with listeners also, Helena. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, okay, so that's the worst news and that's pretty... Um, worrisome. Um, let's talk about the rest. So the, the House bill makes a number of changes to uh, nutrition standards. So, uh, you know, clearly your readers are, or your listeners are familiar with the fact that, uh, you know, the, the nutrition standards in the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act uh, or stemming from the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act have been among the most controversial debates that we've had in recent times. So uh, in the Senate bill, uh, the committee was very careful to not actually write changes uh, to the nutrition standards into the bill. So mm-hmm. they actually basically come to this agreement, this middle ground where SNA agrees and the White House agrees and the both parties agree on certain changes. Like that's where you get the 80% whole grain middle ground, but it's mm-hmm. not actually written into the bill. So, and and they just, they don't, they're very, uh, the committee says they're very concerned about setting a precedent where Congress is writing uh, the nitty-gritty of nutrition uh, mm. standards into law. They want to leave that up to USDA and, you know, with the help of Institute of Medicine and, and bodies like that. So, mm-hmm. but in the House bill, there are some specifics. Um, they want to block target two and target three sodium. Mm-hmm. So they would block it until there's more science uh, specific to children. Uh, but I think most people view that language as um, essentially blocking it for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, they would also call for a review of whole grain rich 
standards and sodium standards. So, um, and that review would have to include, you know, administrators and um, and nutrition folks and and uh, actual program operators and. I think the the point of that would be to look at you know how have these changes impacted revenue and operations. Mm-hmm. Um, the bill does the House bill does not um, cut the half cup fruit and vegetable requirement for meals, uh, which um, as I'm sure all of your listeners are aware has been uh, very hotly debated because of the costs. Um, and you know that that was a, a new a new mandate to have that half cup requirement, uh, and the SNA of course wanted it to be not required on every on every tray, but right. uh, but you know offered. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes the fruit and vegetable uh, snack program, the fresh fruit and vegetable snack program, um, open up to all forms of produce. So um, a lot of high poverty schools use that program to get their kids an extra serving of fruits and vegetables and, you know, sort of teach about healthy snacking. It's about a $175 million uh, nationwide program. And there's been a long debate about whether or not it should main- keep, you know, could should stay fresh only or mm-hmm. should allow dried and canned and frozen uh, foods. And the committee would basically just, um, their draft bill would eliminate the word fresh and it would be open up. Right. The, the language reads, strike the word fresh. And that, you know... <laughs> kind, kind, kind of a shocker, yeah. yeah. So they're basically the fresh fruit and vegetable program, which we, you know, are also proud of, would be something else entirely. So, it would be, yeah. You yeah. would totally miss the change unless you could you search the document for the word exactly. fresh. So um, exactly. that's how you can find that. Mm-hmm. Um, the proposal would also allow um, any item that fits into a meal pattern uh, to be sold a la carte. So this is a a change that the School Nutrition Association has advocated for. Um, They argue that it would make it easier for schools, you know, to not have to um, uh, kind of differentiate between foods that can be sold a la carte, and it Mm -hmm. would open up uh, possibilities for items to be sold. Of course, health advocates think that those opportunities would be mostly things like pizza and french fries and hamburgers and maybe things that could very well be a a part of a balanced meal, but they don't want children to be just buying those things just for their every day. Yeah, which which a lot of teenagers especially would do. Yeah, so that's that's very concerning. Yeah, there are two two views on that change. Mm -hmm. Um, The bill would also really scale back, if not completely eliminate, um, the, the requirement that fundraisers, like school-based fundraisers, mm-hmm. meet the nutrition standards. So again, uh, if you're the PTA, you might think this, this is a great provision because we can hold, you know, uh, fundraisers more often. If you wanted to do the cookie dough or the, you know, the, the pizza that wouldn't have to meet nutrition or uh, require, you know, nutrition standards. Um, but then on the other side, um, you have health advocates who think that this could pretty much undermine all of all of the changes that you're making in the cafeteria. Yeah, and we've, we, we have spent some time on the show talking about the amazing progress that so many districts have done in introducing healthy fundraisers with or without food. And, and the word undermine is, is spot on because, um, you know, what we have said on the show is these, these districts are, are really showing an example of success to others. And, and this bill is effectively saying it doesn't really matter. Let's go back to the old way. It was easy. Um, so, yeah, upsetting. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners also know that a lot of states have created their own sort of um, liberal uh, 
exemptions and so on. So there, there's definitely, uh, I think, a, um, a uh, there's a range of, of implementation on that front. Like right. some, some states are very strict and, and others not, are less right, strict. Right. Um, right. Helena, I want to return to sodium because I, I am a little bit confused about um, what the two bills say. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senate bill, I'm going to read it here. It calls for assessment of, quote, whether the latest scientific research indicates that further reduction in sodium is necessary to safeguard the health of children. And then it sets a date of July 2024, a report out on that research. Um, the House committee calls for something that is a little bit different, but, uh, but I'm not sure I agree that it's uh, dramatically different. The, the thing that I'm seeing in the House bill that I don't see in the Senate bill um, is that industry be allowed three years to come into compliance with whatever new targets are set at that time. So as you say, that that does delay things by quite a bit. I, I couldn't say whether or not industry is saying they, they would need three years to come into compliance if there were a change. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work in practice. Um, certainly both uh, both bills aim to delay future sodium. So my understanding of the Senate bill is it delays Target 2 um, from 2017 to 2019. So mm-hmm. it would give the industry a longer timeline. And then it technically leaves Target 3 in place, but it calls for, as you mentioned, a study by 2020. And because Target 3 is um, currently on schedule for 2022, that effectively bumps you know that target yeah. to be to to basically be open to change based on whatever the report yeah. in 2020 so, so. You also have to remember that they're going to do a new bill in 2020, mm-hmm. probably, or 2021 or what, you know, depending on how this goes. Um, so, you know, you would be in another cycle of child nutrition reauthorization. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That, and so looking at Target 3 is almost, you know, a premature yeah. um Absolutely. Uh, discussion because right. it, it will be up for debate before right, right. it kicks in. I, I just want to add that there's a little bit of good news here. There is new reimbursement for breakfast, which was, you know, uh, something the industry really, really asked for and didn't get. It's not much, though. It's a matter of, uh, what, two or three cents per breakfast? Yeah, I think it's I think it's two cents. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit tough to tell uh, with the draft exactly what kind of funding levels you're looking at for various things. The other mm-hmm. thing that... Um, advocates have been looking at a lot is funding for summer, uh, you know, expanding access to summer feeding programs. Mm -hmm. So um, my understanding is that the House bill does uh, reduce some of the barriers to summer food Mm -hmm. uh, and it and it would probably expand access, but it does not go nearly as far or give as much money to summer EBT to kind of fill the gap for kids that don't necessarily have access to summer feeding sites. So the Senate bill aims to give about $30 a month to children that qualify for, you know, free and reduced during the, the, the school year but mm-hmm. don't have access during the summer. And that would be a, an expansion that would probably impact about 285,000 children, so pretty, pretty sizable scale. And then in the House bill, I, I know that it's much, much more limited. It's more of a pilot it's narrow, and I think it's about $15 a month that they're looking at. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I know that's one thing that hunger groups are taking a really close look at to try to understand exactly what kind of funding um, and you know, what what level of EBT uh, the House bill would 
would look to give students. Right. Is it, uh, it's not very clear. focused on reducing hunger in the summer. Yeah, this yeah round. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, this has been really helpful, Helena. Um, I, I want to pause for station break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to engage in a little speculation uh, about what's going on beside, behind the scenes. Um, you're listening to Inside School Food. Today's guest is Politico's Helena bottomiller Evich. Here to fill us in on the latest development, or, or maybe I should say the latest setback in the progress of CNR. We will be right back. just your garden it's the way you live and there's so much to know but you have help bonnie plants now with bonnie's app homegrown you can learn about veggie and herb varieties track and record your garden with photos and notes share on facebook and twitter and so much more how'd you ever grow without it get homegrown with bonnie plants for iphone and android the more you know the better you can grow with bonnie Welcome back. Okay, Helena, can you help us understand why the House Committee is not aligning its bill with the bipartisan bill released by the Senate Committee? Well, I think it's important to understand kind of the difference between the House and the Senate. In general, the House tends to be a more partisan body and the House or in the Senate tends to be more bipartisan just because of the way the different chambers are structured. Um, it, it ends up pretty, uh, pretty much across the board. The Senate tends to be more bipartisan. The House tends to be more partisan. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not altogether surprising that, um, that the bill would be um, more partisan than, than the Senate version. Um, I do think that the, um, the extent to which uh, this bill is somewhat out of step with what the School Nutrition Association has been advocating uh, has raised some eyebrows, and mm-hmm. um, you know, particularly with CEP. And you know, I can't uh, answer exactly what the motivation of the House Committee is, but I think um, observers are wondering if this isn't sort of a um, a way to show kind of the conservative uh, credentials, right, to, mm-hmm. to tighten up the elegi- or tighten up the, the um, number of students that would qualify for something like CEP uh, could be something that would really appeal to conservatives that are very interested in not giving uh, government benefits to students that don't absolutely need them. So with CEP, even though you're talking about very high poverty schools, uh, you still... Uh, are going to be giving meals to some students that don't technically qualify. Mm-hmm. So I think understanding the political frame around this is important. Um, that's not to say that that's necessarily why they're doing this. You know, there may be uh, folks on the committee that think this is just better policy. Uh, I can't say for sure. But uh, in general, uh, we do expect to have more partisan uh, bills from from the House, and, and certainly House uh, the House members of the committee and the leaders have already been uh, raising concerns about this bill. Um, if you look at some of the Democrats' complaints, they're calling it an erosion of CEP, mm-hmm. lack of meaningful ex- 
investment, failure to expand things. So um, they're certainly not happy with the discussion draft that we Yeah, so the, uh, the language is yeah. getting extreme, which is not a good sign for, for moving forward. Um, you know, I, in digging around about this, I found an interesting um, document online from 2010, um, and it's identified as a fact sheet from the House Education and Workforce Committee. Now, now, mind you, this was released when during the 111th Congress when Democrats were still in the majority um, uh, in the House, but, of course, it was a lame duck. Session, and that was when Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act was passed. Um, and yet, this document is is released with um, Representative Republican Representative John Klein at the top of the document, identified as the new chair of the committee. And it uses some very strong language. Um, that the title of the document is "Democrats Continue Out of Control Spending Spree, Bogging Down Child Nutrition with Costly Federal Mandates and a Stealth Tax on Working Families." Um, and it accuses Democrats of budget gimmicks that hide billions more in future spending obligations. So, you know, I, I don't know how they were able to release this before the the um, 112 Congress was actually in session, but they did, and it, it certainly um, sets the stage for the the kind of environment and what you know what you're describing now. Um, it, it is worrisome, and it's certainly not the first time we've we've seen um, child nutrition programs as political football. You know, if we look back to the contract with America and uh, what was it 1995, there was an attempt to take down the National School Lunch Program entirely and cede authority to states via block grants. And then there were the cuts under Ronald Reagan. So it's, it's kind of an old story if you look back. Yeah. A lot but, of people mm-hmm. forget that John Klein voted against the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. Uh, so um, I think certain uh, close watchers of child nutrition reauthorization sort of always had that in the back of their head while they were watching this. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's there's also just a more practical matter. Um, you told me, and I, I looked it up after we spoke, that there um, is a report from the Congressional Budget Office that um, projects a, an increase of spending for child nutrition programs of, uh, what is it, like $1.1 billion over the next 10 years. Um, And as you told me, this was supposed to be a budget neutral bill. So I'm assuming this is an issue for the House Republicans. So the yeah, that's the Senate bill, uh, the Congressional Budget Office estimated, you know, they they basically do these projections to try to estimate how much certain things will cost. They they estimated it would cost 1.1 billion over 10 years for the Senate bill, which was supposed to be budget neutral. And the reason um, it's important for it to be budget neutral is it makes it much, much easier to get bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of Republicans in particular, uh, some Democrats as well, but mostly Republicans that are very concerned about uh, spending and they want offsets. So they, if you're going to spend money on, on one thing, you got to find cuts somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And in the House, they do not, as far as I know, they do not yet have have an estimate for how much their bill would cost. Uh, but if it costs a lot of money, uh, particularly for the breakfast reimbursement increase or something, they would most likely make tweaks to that because um, there's just no appetite for uh, that kind of increased spending. Um, there's really been a focus in Washington, uh, particularly with the Republican-controlled Congress, to rein in spending mm-hmm. uh, wherever possible. So that is the backdrop against which this bill is going to be considered if it indeed, you know, does move forward. Um, and it's important to remember that. I mean, when you have bipartisan agreement that you probably do need a higher reimbursement for meals, mm-hmm. but you can't get it because there's no money. I mean, that 
uh, that's just the reality, I think, that child nutrition programs are going to be in for some time. Well, and at the same time, food prices are going up. Um, and, you know, when you think about over the course of 10 years, $1.1 billion, it probably wouldn't even cover that. Um, you know, a current spending um, for child nutrition is $20.6 billion. So, it, you know, it's... It adds on some, but when, when, when you just think about the, the, the need over the course of a decade for, to, to match um, you know, rising prices, it is, it is worrisome. I, I just have to say we spent $601 billion on military in 2015. I just have to say that. So. <laughs> it's amazing. I will say it's amazing what school nutrition operators are able to do with yeah. the amount of money that so they're little. given. I think it's a, it's a miracle that 30-plus million kids a day are fed on the budgets that they have. And I've yet to meet a nutrition operator who, or leader who did not think that we could spend a little bit more yeah, uh, on the reimbursement and rate. And a, a so little bit more. That is one area yeah. of, of broad agreement. Yeah, yeah. And, and a little bit more can go actually go a long way, 10 cents more, and we, as we've demonstrated on this show many oh, times. Oh, 10 cents more would mm-hmm. be, oh, that's Enormous. Yeah. <laughs> Enormous. So, um, again, looking looking at impacts, um, just thinking about, you know, some of the um, in, you know people working inside school food who, who might be listening today, um, you know, for instance, districts that ca- are counting on enrolling new sites in community eligibility for school year 2016-17, that was my real reason for getting in touch with Jean Ronnie this morning. I-, I wanted to find out, first of all, if they could continue doing that um, in the absence of a new CNR. She said yes, and she was very emphatic in saying we are going to encourage you know, robust um, in, enrollment, um, and, and and as long as there's a stalemate and no new bill, um, that can go on. So that will be interesting to see um, yeah. if, that, if they're I, successful in doing that. I find it incredibly hard to believe that Congress would get its act together in time to impact uh, this coming school year. Right. Um, it, it would, you know, there are a lot of things that have to fall into place for for these bills to move forward and come together and actually get enough support to pass mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in an election year uh, to boot. So uh, there are a lot of things, uh, there are a lot of barriers still to getting this done. And I would, if I were a school nutrition operator, I would sit tight and, and keep, you know, keep close track of the process because nothing is moving uh, quickly. Right, right, right. So, so that's good for districts that are um, planning on enrolling in CEP, but it's not so great for districts and um, that are, for instance, hoping for new farm-to-school grants because those won't be approved, right? And things I- like uh, badly needed equipment upgrades, you know, the funding has to be approved in a new bill or it's not there. If there is an, if there has been, uh, you know, a, a relatively uh, stable level of funding for programs like that, mm-hmm. uh, it's, I, I think it's safe to assume that uh, those kinds of programs would be carried over. Or maybe they would just get extended. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as getting increases, um, that is not something I would expect because uh, if there isn't a new child nutrition bill, there won't really be the policy uh, to go along with those types of increases. So I don't expect anything to get defunded or to expire. Uh, I I don't think Congress would would let anything like that happen. And most of these programs continue on autopilot anyway, Mm -hmm. but I would not anticipate anticipate increases 
for any of those programs that, that folks are looking at. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm also wondering, um, and I haven't spoken to anyone yet because this news is so new, about you know potential impacts on producers and vendors of, um, for instance, whole grain rich foods for K through 12. You know, they've done, they, they're there. They, they've done a wonderful job of developing products and compliance that kids like to eat. But they need certainty in order to um, produce in the right amounts. Um, uncertainty can be very expensive for schools because um, supply tends to dry up um, when producers don't know whether or not um, the rules are going to change. I would be curious to, to know whether or not schools won't just um, kind of assume that the policies are going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. So there's some hardship exemptions, but for the most part, the 100% whole grain rich stands. Under the Senate bill, it would go to 80%, but again, nothing's moving quickly. So mm-hmm. I don't know that that would kick in in time for next school year. The School Nutrition Association has actually advocated for USDA to go ahead and and uh, use the regulatory process to implement the kind of grand compromise everyone agreed to in January, but mm-hmm. USDA has so far said that it, it will not do that, uh, and it's, it wants the, the it wants Congress to actually come up with a full reauthorization bill yeah, before yeah. it acts. And, and industry certainly would ask for certainty, and that applies to sodium also. Um, they, they just want to know what it's going to be so that they can produce um, to scale um, at affordable prices for our districts. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's fair to say that there's not certainty right now. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for just about everyone, um, yeah. it's it's unclear how this will unfold. Well, yes, <laughs> it certainly is. Um, but Helena, I am very grateful to you for helping us understand um, where we stand um, and really all the great reporting you've been doing on the politics of school food. We, we look forward to whatever you report out next. Um, hopefully the news will be, will be good, but at the very least, we, we know that you're going to help us understand what's going on. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is Inside School Food. We've been speaking with Helena Batamiller-Evich, who is Senior Food and Agriculture Policy Reporter at Politico. Um, I've posted lots of links on today's show page on InsideSchoolFood.com. Um, and in, it, they include the House bill that brought Helena to us today, if you um, have the courage to you know, make your way through that. Um, if you have any questions or thoughts to share, you can talk to us on Facebook or via the contact form on InsideSchoolFood.com. Inside School Food is also available on our host uh, station, the HeritageRadioNetwork.org, along with lots of other fabulous podcasts about food and issues in food. Um, You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and a host of other podcasting platforms. Um, Do remember to follow us on Twitter or Facebook or sign up for our newsletter because that's how we know who's listening and that helps us to serve you better. Um, I'm Laura Stanley. Next week, no politics. I promise. Uh, Just good food when we visit with some of the creative people behind the 18 school-based California Culinary Center and their new online database of fabulous recipes for K-12. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.